Welcome to Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More, the podcast that gives you a viewpoint on sports medicine that can't be found anywhere else. I'm your host, Eli Howitt, and we have a fantastic show ahead of us today. So let's get started. Joining us today on Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More, our contributor, Joel Dorney. How are you doing today, Joel? Doing good. Thanks for having me again. And our guest today, and hopefully a future contributor over and over and over, Kirsten Farrell from LA Unified School District. How are you doing today, Kirsten? I am great. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. It's actually kind of fun that you're starting this new adventure. You always have to have something keeping it uh, interesting, right? Very true. Very true. Very true of all of us. So a uh, little bit about yourself, Kirsten. You've been an athletic trainer for how many years? Do I really have to be honest? Uh, you can you can fudge a little <laughs> bit. That's okay. Uh, I guess we're at officially 25 years. So you've been a certified athletic trainer for around 25 years, which means you get but, your your commemorative NATA pin this year. Oh, boy. Yeah, supposedly that will come in the mail at some point. Um, but I've been in education for over 30 years. Over 30 years. Now, Joel, who's also an athletic trainer and has been a head athletic trainer uh, at a couple of high schools. Uh, how long have you been an athletic trainer, Joel? Uh, I've been in, been in the field now for 15 years. Okay, so we've got 15, we've got 25, and I believe I'm at 27. So we've got a couple of years of knowledge between the three of us. Every now and then, I'm sure we get something right taking care of these kids. But Kirsten, what really got you into this? If you were an educator first and then started looking into healthcare, what, what got you there? Um, it's kind of an interesting story. I was actually coaching middle school sports at an international school in Tokyo and found coaching too stressful but I enjoyed being around the kids um, and had family members in healthcare. So when I went to get my master's degree in school counseling, I also did the athletic training curriculum at the same time. And what school was that at? The University of Vermont. Oh, wow. Yes, in lovely Burlington, where we froze. From, so got lots of hockey and ski experience. From Vermont to California. Well, oh. with a stop in Switzerland. Wow. You're a little bit better traveled than I've ever thought of being. That's pretty cool. Now, what about you, Joel? What got you into this field? Probably from my own experience as an athlete, dealing with my own injuries, and then with those who helped me get over some of those hurdles. Um, I always knew I wanted to do something in the medical field. And when I had a chance to to take that and kind of stay with the athletics, and the for me, it's always been about being part of a team. So that's where... I think I got the passion for athletic training. Kind of cool. Teamwork. Yeah, that that goes perfect hand in hand with athletics. Mm -hmm. I know Kirsten's uh, dealing with a lot of teamwork right now at LAUSD. And uh, especially in your new role, can you tell us about your uh, current role at LAUSD? Sure. Um, about two years ago now, I transitioned out of the classroom. Um, I had been at Venice High School for about 20 years running their sports medicine program. Uh, where I taught during the school day and then was the athletic trainer with a sports medicine team of kids doing internships uh, after school. And I was lucky enough um, to be named teacher of the year in 2018 for the state of California. Yes, you and were. And congratulations. <laughs> that was pretty cool. It was very cool because it was a lot based on what I was doing in sports medicine uh, and giving those opportunities to to our students. 
So at the same time, we got a new superintendent who in his own private life had had students, his own children go to schools where athletic trainers were. Uh, so I was named a teacher of the year and he was coming in at the same time. So we really got to form this good relationship around what we could do to improve student athlete health and safety and made some plans to make a switch. But then unfortunately COVID hit and all our focus sort of switched to a more important issue at the time. And then once COVID settled down, I did finally make the transition. And now the main part of my job is advocating for student athlete health and safety and how we can start to incorporate more and more athletic trainers in our school district considering our size and the number of athletes we have. Wow, that's a heavy task. It's worthwhile, though. I know that you've had some success recently with some addition mm -hmm. at LAUSD. Would you like to talk about that for a minute? Sure. We just have moved into hiring our first direct hire athletic trainers. We have four school sites currently going through that process. And most of we we've had a history of community partnerships where we currently have a eight athletic trainers at different school sites working through community partnership model. But now we've moved um, as a school district to give principals the opportunity to do direct hires. And so we have four school sites that are going through that process right now and we'll be hopefully bringing on new athletic trainers by the end of this month. That's kind of cool especially at a, a district so big, LA Unified. I mean, how many schools, high schools alone are there? I don't know what our official count is of high schools, considering we have everything from span schools to continuation schools. But what we do have is 91 high schools that have athletics programs. About 70 of those have football. Um, obviously, our schools vary in size. And so we may have a school with a cross-country team and a basketball team. And then we'll have a school with all every, almost every sport that you have under CIF. That's a lot of schools, a lot of kids, a lot of athletes, and you get to oversee the people that are going to take care of all those kids. Mm -hmm. That's kind of important. It's, I think our main goal is always, we want to provide the best care as possible for our kids. Um, I think in an in our roles as athletic trainers, we come to it sort of with a servant's attitude and a servant's heart. And so when you find yourself in an opportunity to try to help protect those kids, um, help teach those kids, help expand their role and their opportunities, it's, it's a heavy lift, but it's an honor at the same time, because I think we're really going to make a difference, um, not only in Los Angeles, but actually through the state of California, if we can uh, get all of our schools covered and help other districts find this model as well. I love how you state that it's a heavy lift, but it's definitely worthwhile. And um, I know Joel and I have talked about this mm -hmm. a lot over the years, and we really feel uh, similar. And Joel, you could probably talk a little bit more about how uh, we've been told many times over the years that teaching is more of a vocation, but really so is healthcare. And mm -hmm. we have a very unique position in that we're both teachers and healthcare professionals. Um, Joel, you want to talk about that a little bit? You know, in our profession, the the time that we commit to it is taken away from our families. Kind of like I said before, I mean, ultimately, you start to develop that relationship in your community, and it becomes your second family. And it doesn't become, I mean, it's not a nine to five job. You have to absolutely love what you're doing. 
and want to do it and you commit to it. And there's days where, you know, you see things that you mm-hmm. hope to never see or have to deal with again, but you're prepared for that because of the fact that, you know, we, we choose to do this because we want to. I mean, like I think we've said, you know, you feel called to do it. And if you're not called to mm-hmm. do it, then you're not actually given the service that that everyone is looking for and the kids expect from us. And, and it's with the education of that, too, is more of what we're doing nowadays is not just the direct patient care, but also teaching kids, you know, what to eat, how to eat, how to train those life lessons of sustained health, other than just trying to be successful in the field. And as a teacher yourself, by background, Kirsten, all three of us have Mm -hmm. several years of educational (laughs) background. So, uh, you know, we're, we're well versed, but I'm sure you would reiterate that we all are teaching at every every step of the way when we're dealing with these student athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think we're, for a lot of us in the public school, this may be the first healthcare provider many of our kids interact with on a regular basis. So there's an opportunity to educate them there as well. And I think in education and teaching and athletic training, a lot of what our success is based on is relationships. And when kids trust us and believe in us and we give that right back to our kids that we trust and believe in them, we have extreme opportunities to really affect their lives and set them um, up for future success, not just in their sport, but obviously in their healthcare. I love how you say uh, affect their lives because we really do. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's no doubt about it. I mean, we see it every year, whether it's at a, at an event um, that we're hosting or participating, and we get to see that little uh, flicker in their eye when the light flicks on and they get it. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, at some schools, it might be the first time they've ever had interaction with a healthcare provider. And that just, to us, we take that for granted as athletic trainers, as healthcare providers, but more importantly, people that are around, you know, young adults, we, we just... Mm-hmm. We just believe that's kind of how it is. And we get to come from a different standpoint because they see us on a day-to-day. So they, they feel comfortable. We get in those relationships. They feel comfortable telling us things where they talk to, they went to see their own primary care physician. They might withhold information just because they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. talking about that. Where for us, they know where we're coming from. We give that trust both ways and we get a lot more information than they might tell somebody else. And- totally true. And they know we care. Uh, for most teenagers, especially if you're a healthy teenager and an athlete, you're spending about probably 15 minutes a year with a healthcare provider uh, when you go get your sports physical. So to have the opportunity to have an athletic trainer on campus, you know, through the relationship, through the knowledge, through your history with that student athlete, you get this wonderful opportunity to show them what healthcare can be show them all the things that they can learn, um, even simple things to improve their day-to-day life around sleep and around stress. You know, a lot of things that high school kids go through that they may not be able to go to a different healthcare provider or their own doctor about. Great points. Uh, So true. And this really brings me up, let me rephrase that. It brings a a thought to my mind, and I know we've all kind of dealt with this. A, A student might come up to us and we give them an answer and we realize it's something that's significant, but we have to call the parents. And mm-hmm. we inform those parents and the parents go, well, I said the same thing. 
Uh, one thing as a parent myself, those are kind of the the funny moments because you sit there going, oh yeah, well, they're not going to listen to you because you're mom or mm -hmm. dad. And I'm going to say the same thing and all of a sudden I'm qualified. And then when it happens to me as a parent, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just told you the same thing, young lady. And now you hear it from somebody else. It's amazing how somebody that they know just a little bit differently are reiterating exactly, hopefully, what mom and dad are saying. But now mm -hmm. they'll listen to us because they trust us. And that's true. Um, I also think it's kind of funny that sometimes we don't always have to like mom and dad, but we tend to you know, really like our teachers and really like our athletic trainers um, so that sometimes it comes easier from us um, than, you know, mom and dad just telling me what I'm supposed to do or what I'm not supposed to do. So it's always interesting <laughs> to see Excellent point. <laughs> the relationship between the parents and then them, the mom coming in saying, I just told him that yesterday. Yep. That never happens, right, Joel? No, exactly. But yeah, I mean, exactly. that also allows us to to team up with parents and, mm -hmm. you know, we, we get to connect the kids, you know, and sometimes in favor of the parents and then the parents know they, they feel better knowing that we're in their side too. Again, that, that whole, we want them to be successful and healthy and all those things that the parents want as well. Funny you mentioned that. That's actually going to be another uh, podcast we discuss in the future is, uh, the teamwork it takes, including the parents, mm -hmm. for taking care of those young men, young women playing in sports. So kind of uh, kind of cool. We were discussing that topic yesterday, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but... they like to think they're adults, but not yet. <laughs> they're getting there. They're close. They're very close. Some of them, some days they are. So can't take that away from them. But on some days we have to. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, we don't always have uh, positive experiences, unfortunately, when dealing with the student and the parent combined. We might be the difference in protecting that young man, young woman from mm -hmm. playing in a dangerous situation. And I'm, I'm sure Kristen or Kirsten, you've seen this a plethora of times over the years. Is there any one time that kind of sticks out in your mind where a individuals guardian might have said oh you're you're fine but you knew something was wrong and you had to step in I, I think it happened several times um I think it's just a question of how extreme it gets um and that's sort of where the relationships come from there are parents that are going to push kids there are parents that have dreams and think Johnny is going to the NFL or the NBA and he can play through anything and it goes back to relationships it goes back to teamwork I was extremely lucky to work with a football coach who never questioned what I said. Uh, he was always on board with me. And then together we could explain to parents that we're coming from a place of care. We're coming from a place of wanting to keep your kid healthy. We're, think we're not thinking of just Friday night. We're thinking five, 10, 15 years down the road. You know how many um, athletic trainers just heard that and are so jealous? True. I, and I've always, I've always said I was extremely lucky. We were matched together. I used to call him my work husband because we spent so much time together, but it was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. We, we And we did butt heads at times, but it was, he never questioned my ability to take care of it, those kids. That's fantastic. Joel, I know you've had, uh, uh, we have had uh, an exceptional experience for quite some years. Similar 
to what Kirsten just discussed. But have there been those times where not necessarily football, basketball, baseball, but something you've run into where there's been an issue and you had to step in to literally take care of that young man, young woman, because whoever was there, whether it was another healthcare professional or somebody really acting as one, which is the bigger issue here in California. Somebody stepped in and said, oh, no, 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 he's fine. She's fine. They can play. And you knew. No. And you had to you had to take over the situation. Yeah. I mean, there's been there's been times where, I mean, it, you you have to be honest with the athletes. And I, I feel that's where a lot of times coaches see us as far as our staff. Athletes see us as coaches. They call us, I mean, they call me coach all the time. But at the end of the day, I always have to remember I'm that third party individual that has to kind of keep everyone with the with what the big picture is in sight because coaches sometimes will be so focused on the game that that's really all they're thinking about so you have to in certain situations kind of lay out that groundwork of this is where you know when i say yes or no there's there's a meaning behind it and usually that meaning is what's the big picture you know okay johnny gets in for this one play today but then you lose him for the next two or three weeks is that worth it? And then also talking to the to the athletes and showing them you saw a doctor or you saw a family friend and they told you you're going to be okay, but you can hardly put weight on that ankle. And and what do you you know what what's going to happen next? So yep. it, it's kind of it, it's that communication again. You're not just saying yes no, but you're saying this is where we're at. This is the big picture. You know, there's certain times where you know we can say hey. You probably could, but you're going to do more damage than good. And there's other times where, you know, okay, you know, I've I've had ankles that are trashed, but we can support it, and you're not going to make it any worse than it is. Let's go see what you got. Mm -hmm. I love how you both bring up uh, the big picture. Mm -hmm. Kirsten, you said 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Some of these student athletes, they haven't been alive 15 years yet. So right. big picture to them is six, six, oh, is the next what two is, hours. Yeah, the next two hours. I was going to say next 12 minutes for the quarter in yeah. football or uh, the next 18 minutes, depending on what sport they're mm -hmm. playing. But that's true. That's a big picture for them. Yeah. Everyone gets yeah, tunnel vision. Yes, totally tunnel vision. I mean, their focus is what is immediately there. And um, Joel's answer, you know, I was thinking as he was speaking, it is always about, um, I think it's an interesting role that we get to play in sports medicine and athletic training is that we can keep kids on the field longer. One of the things I really work hard to do is with kids is to make sure they go to their athletic trainer versus just going right into urgent care. Because once a doctor says you can't do anything for two weeks, it means you can't do anything for two weeks. They're done. Um, That's it. They're out. <laughs> right. They got no choice. Right. Neither and do we. No. And we have to follow what the doctor said. I think, unfortunately, in in Western medicine, our our answer is in two weeks, everything feels better. So take two <laughs> weeks off and we'll get there. Whereas to a kid, a basketball kid, that could be six games. So what can we be doing together as a team with your parents um, and with other like-minded healthcare professionals and doctors that we work with um, to take a team approach to be like, okay, maybe you're only gonna miss Wednesday and then third on Friday, we get to like incorporate you into warmups and see how you do, you know, and you did great. Okay. Maybe next week we'll give you eight to 10 minutes in the game 
And so that kid doesn't miss out completely on six games and have to sit there and watch his teammates, but he gets, he or she still gets to be a part of that um, experience and not miss. The other piece, you know, that Eli, you were talking about is, especially in California, the people we run into on the other sidelines. Um, and that's, I think, one of the things that's really unfortunate about where we stand in California right now. So true, I so true. remember very clearly a gentleman coming over to me and introducing himself as a doctor. And then I had a kid do his tib fib and then him try to tell me he just sprained his ankle and all we needed to do was tape him. Now, when you say um, did his tib fib, I presume you mean broke, fractured? He fractured his yeah, tibia okay. and tibula. Making you could sure. feel a step off. Yep. Oh, on both bones. Poor kid. Poor kid. Um, poor kid. Sophomore, first game of varsity. Um, and you could feel the step off on both of those bones. And this gentleman who identified himself as a doctor told me all we needed to do was tape it up and he'd be okay. And uh -huh. that's real. That's really a big question. Who's on the sideline? Joel, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. That, that makes it tough too, especially, I mean, when we're in our closed niche, you know, we're on our campus, we understand what's going on, but anytime we're out and about with our athletes, you, you get to this point where you second guess everybody that identifies themselves as a healthcare professional, because mm -hmm. there's nothing, there's no recourse for saying that you are, even if you aren't qualified and you just, you you're always just second guessing and it's it just puts you in an awkward situation when you're dealing with that individual and the other schools or or parents because you don't know and there's no way to verify what they claim they say they know mm -hmm. a, a little shout out to my buddy over at loyola and i i i hate to say this but tim masicki over at loyola high school uh who's been there i think as long as the school as their had athletic trainer uh taught me a trick my first day when we played against them and i'll never forget it he walked up to me and looked at me and introduced himself and i said oh cool nice to meet you i'm eli halleck i'm the athletic trainer and he paused he looked at me you're the athletic trainer yes i am you're an atc yes i am you're the athletic trainer he said it about three or four times atc athletic mm -hmm. trainer atc athletic trainer and I finally looked at him. I'm like, buddy, I, I'm the guy. What's going on? This is this is going back 26 years. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and said, what I've realized over my time is if you say athletic trainer, everybody's going to go, well, yeah, I tape the ankles. Mm -hmm. I take care of the first aid stuff. I'm, I've got no other education outside of that, but I'm the athletic tra trainer because I'm the guy that tapes ankles. Once you look at them and say, are you an ATC? Mm -hmm. If they don't know what that is, they go, a what? And I paused and I thought about it. And I'm like, that's a that's a really good idea. And I've used that. And Joel's heard me say it multiple times every year when we come across somebody. Are you an ATC? A what? Mm -hmm. Are you the athletic trainer? Yes. Oh, okay. You're an ATC? A what? And that in California, like you were saying, is a problem. You know, we've come, we've all come across somebody who says they're an athletic trainer and then when it gets down and dirty and there's an injury and you need help, they just stand there mm -hmm. not knowing what to do. Very true. And I think it also rolls over into um, folks that are higher as athletic trainers at schools, because in healthcare, we have a scope of practice. Um, we, we have a lane that we stay in. And if it doesn't fit our lane, we will refer to the person in the next lane who will assist us. Um, when you have someone who may hold a different certification, um, 
you know, for an example, an EMT who identifies himself as an athletic trainer, an EMT has no business working with your student athlete doing rehab. Um, so it's, I think it's really important for parents to understand what the certification, what the education, and what the training is of that healthcare professional that's caring for your kids. Because a person who does not have that education and training may actually cause your kid more harm, even though they think they're coming from the right place. Like you said, their heart might be in the right place, but their knowledge isn't there. Correct. Yeah. And sometimes for us as athletic trainers, it's really educating those parents so they know what we are capable of. I know Joel mm -hmm. and I just recently came into that situation where a individual didn't understand our background, our education, how we take care of our students, what we do, how we do it. And I'll be honest, we're kind of fortunate where we're at. We have a lot of uh, ability because of our facilities. So educating people is one thing. But when we roll into that game and we introduce ourselves and you say, are you an ATC? And they go, what? Athletic trainer. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm hired as the athletic trainer. We came across that, um, I believe it was last year. Oh, yeah, I got hired as the athletic trainer. I'm an EMT by background. Just like you mm -hmm. said, that's that's a whole different education. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, and one of the things I tend to do nowadays is ask who the medical professional is. And when they point me to the medical professional, then I go over and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Um, I'm a certified athletic trainer. What is your background? And usually they'll come out with, I'm an EMT, I'm a paramedic, I'm an athletic trainer, physical therapist, you know, so um, I tend to use a more generic term in the beginning to be, not be like, I'm the athletic trainer, I'm in charge, but who's your, who's your medical professional and then what kind of background and training do you have and how are we going to work together tonight? That's great. I, lo I love how you do that. We might have to uh, change that up on our side. I like that. I know we've all been there. Um, we're sitting on the sideline. We have to do that sprint out to the field, which uh, when that happens, my students laugh mm -hmm. at me because they know I'm not a runner. I've never been a runner. Don't like running. But when we get there and we have a team mm -hmm. um, and there are, you know, you have your colleague from the other side, you know who can handle the situation with you. That's got to be a lot more calming for you and thus calming for that patient that you're caring for. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I will tell you something else about the running piece. Have you ever seen a paramedic run? Never. They don't. Never. They walk and assess. They may walk quickly and assess. Um, and I worked with a paramedic like my first year as an AT and, and he said, no, you don't run. You get there quickly and you assess why you're making, you're crossing that distance. Um, and so I, I like that quote. I, I was I always appreciative of that. So it is, you know, um, two years ago, we had a massive situation at a high school game I was at. And if it was not for the team that we had in place that night and the fact that the school understood the role, um, the school what had had an athletic trainer for a lot of years um, that would have been a very different outcome for that young man. 
Um, so I was always extremely grateful when you had a team of like-minded professionals um, who understand, you know, what your role is at on the field and taking care of a kid, as well as not letting egos get in the way when you're you're taking care of a life-threatening situation with a student athlete. Right, and you start talking about like you said, like-minded professionals who have have an EAP that have practiced it that you expect that, I mean, there's been so many times where I've been in those situations and you just go into automatic mode because that's what your training mm-hmm. has designed you to do. And, you know, you go, you know, we're all focused on that athlete and it's almost like you're talking to the other people and you don't even know what they're saying because everyone's on the same page and it's just that mm-hmm. communications there and you're all coming from the same standpoint and you know that you're going to give the best, you know, patient care possible. Right. And parents need to understand that. Um, parents need to, to, you know, we live in Southern California, where is the be all and end all of year round sports, um, you know, not just at your, your child's school or youth leagues, um, there's travel ball, there's club sports, but if you are a parent at the very least, if you're taking your kid to a tournament or to a game, you should be able to walk into that facility or walk onto that field and ask them, what is your emergency action plan? Where is your automated external defibrillator? Who is the highest trained medical person here? Now, obviously, sometimes it's the coach, but the coach in California should have their CPR, AED certification and first aid certification. Now, is that state law or CIF regulations or both? I know in CIF, we we require it. Um, As a district, we require it. Um, I do believe we've written into... Uh, legislature now about CPR and, uh, and AED access. Um, I know there's currently legislative action on the table that every every school that hosts athletic events is going to have to rehearse an EAP. That is correct. Um, I've yes. already spoken with our coaches about that, and they're oh so happy about the extra time we'll be <laughs> spending with them next year. Um, true, and, but you know. The, on the flip side, from the from the public school perspective, um, where you have lots of schools that may not be as lucky to have a certified athletic trainer, um, we really try to work with coaches about your, this is going to be you. You know, we want to make sure you're protecting yourself and you're protecting your student as well as possible. Um, and then on the flip side, as the coach, sometimes our coaches are older. Sometimes our coaches may have their own health issues. Um, if you, as a coach, collapse you want your kids to know what the emergency action plan is so they're not all standing around looking at you going what do we do now that's a fantastic point because in the middle of practice they don't have their cell phones in theory on them so to have that knowledge for those student athletes is a very good idea Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see us in California move towards uh, CPR first aid um, understanding an emergency action plan be part of a high school graduation requirement. You know, I believe they passed CPR mandatory for high school seniors about a year or two before the COVID shutdown. I'm almost positive that there was a requirement for public schools to have students go through a CPR course. I don't know if they have to be certified. Mm-hmm. And I think at uh, some schools, they tied it into their health class, I believe. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools are working towards doing that, um, but 
as, as a teacher in California, you only have to be certified in CPR when you get your initial credential. Then you never have to keep it up. Never check again. Mm. So, you know, I think now that we know um, how effective CPR and AED use is, I think the more and more we make it a public resource, um, the more and more people you're going to save. But, you know, bringing it back to sports, as a parent, wherever your kid is playing, ask about that emergency action plan and ask about that access to an AED. I know there's, uh, like you said, legislation on the table right now that will require uh, AEDs be within a three-minute mm -hmm. uh, perimeter of wherever a athlete is playing sports, which begs to wonder, you know, poses a question, what about cross-country? Correct. You know, and there are those sports. Um, we have a massive program in our own, in public schools across California that is called Students Run, um, and it's Students Run LA or Students Run San Diego. And those are after school clubs that train for marathons. Um, and so you're talking about kids going out on a 10 to 17 mile run, uh, not just a three and a half mile run. I know that we're trying to, um, a lot of times in our courses where our kids run um, in CIFLA is place someone at the end and place someone at the halfway point. So at least, you know, in a three and a half or 3.24 mile course, someone's there a little bit quicker, but it's, unless you're going to have someone standing every hundred yards with an AED, there are going to be sports that are not going to fit the mold. And I think we got to just realize that, like you say, and come mm -hmm. up with potential options. And I, I think what you mentioned, somebody in the front, someone at the middle, and of mm -hmm. course, someone at the ending, I think that's a great idea. Because um, the goal here is, the key here is health and safety of kids. Mm -hmm. It really is. And we're just looking out for them. Right. And that's... Um... I don't know if you've ever had the chance and it's excellent reading for anyone who's listening is the safer sideline story that came out this year or actually last year now um, regarding student athlete health and safety. And I pronounced Stephanie's last name wrong, but Stephanie, I'm not even going to try, um, <laughs> but she, she did a whole series called the safer sidelines and she was focusing on like Kentucky and the area of Ohio that she's near and in the last 10 years in that area, no student has died in a fire drill. But yet we've had close to 200 kids die playing sports. So, you know, and wow. we think of our own school upbringing. We practice fire drills to this day. Why aren't we practicing EAPs and AED access? Oh, very, very well said. That's a great point. Wow. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to note too. I, I mean, just even this past year where I travel with different athletics, the number of even officials that have thanked me for being there because the mm -hmm. last thing, I mean, they know that they're responsible for those kids too. And the burden off of them when they have a medical professional there is night and day. And correct. It's just, again, having someone that's going to take on that responsibility that's trained for you know god knows you know what could happen um but we're there for that worst case scenario and 
hopefully I always, I always tell everyone I'm here to watch the game and hopefully not do anything today, mm -hmm. but it, it's just, it's, it's a blessing for athletes to have someone there that's going to be keeping an eye out and prepared for anything that can happen. I'm going to push, true. I'm going to push back on Joel on that one. Mm -hmm. I don't think it is a blessing. I think it should be a right. It shouldn't be a blessing. Uh, we're blessed to work where we do. We're very fortunate, but it shouldn't be a blessing because then it becomes more of the haves versus the have-nots. And I know, mm -hmm. Kirsten, that's part of the fight you're fighting right now is getting athletic trainers who know how to take care of these students into a system that needs it. Right. LAUSD is an area that needs athletic trainers. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, so many people think of us as a blessing where mm -hmm. you have the right to an education, you have the right to play sports at a high school. You should have a right to that healthcare provider on the sideline, if you ask me. And, and that's a really good point. Um, technically, sports are a privilege <laughs> in public education. Well, I got a um, lot of people that'll argue, argue <laughs> that point. I know that for a fact. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, the I think the other thing, especially in, you know, when you're talking about a middle school athletic trainer or a secondary school athletic trainer, um, and it's not just the fact that we, you know, we save a life. Um, it's the fact that uh, your son or daughter sprained their ankle and they need physical therapy or they need rehab protocols um, and or they've had a surgical incident and all of a sudden you have someone there that can help you during the school day. Um, you have so, mom and dad all of a sudden don't have to take off a half a day of work to come pick you up and yeah. take you to a, a doctor's appointment or a therapy appointment. Um, you know, so especially when we're talking about kids that come from you know, really low socioeconomic areas, one, it may take weeks to get that appointment. And two, you're talking about a financial burden on the parents and you're talking about a, um, you know, some of our kids don't have transportation and to have that person, you know, just across campus or just downstairs is incredibly um, helpful to to our families totally yeah not to mention I mean, insurance issues too you have some mm -hmm. some insurances say okay you get three sessions and that's all that's covered correct or, you know who, who's going to pick up the slack at that point and we're the ones who actually can show them the measurements and how they've improved and also have those discussions with coaches because mm -hmm. the kid goes to physical therapy the, the coach never knows what limitations they should be and you're starting to put a lot of trust in he said, she said. Right. Um, and, you know, in especially on the in the public sector, all of our funding is based on attendance. So you have a kid do his MCL and is able to come to school every day versus a kid who does his MCL, gets put into a straight leg brace and then sits on his couch for two weeks. A lot of money you lost know. at LA Unified right. or any any public school, any public school system at that point. That's a that's an excellent point. So you're mm -hmm. actually saving the school financially, not Correct. just the family at that point. Correct. Um, and that's, you know, I think an interesting perspective we sort of miss in our advocacy in California is there's a very large education piece and funding piece in the secondary school that could support 
the argument for the need for athletic trainers. That's a great point. We might have to uh, make sure Mr. Kai Kugler, the president of the CATA, <laughs> hears that point. So knowing this is a special kind of profession and those kids that are getting taken care of by us, by athletic trainers, um, you, you've got some different people there. Their, their mm -hmm. mindset's a little different. We're there to take care of kids and we know it. What are some of the qualities that you see as the most important to that secondary school or middle school setting as an athletic trainer? Because it is a unique profession. We're constantly interacting with minors and mm -hmm. different mindsets because of it. What are some of the qualities you see as a key to being an athletic trainer successful and, or excuse me, being successful, taking care of those, those young men, young women? Um, again, at the core, it's relationships. And I think you've got to meet them where they are. Um, if you've got a kid who is ready to go off the edge with their injury, you've got to be able to understand that and talk them back from that ledge. Um, at the same time, you have that kid who my fibula is broken. That doesn't mean anything. I can still stand. I can still run and be able to walk them back. So I think it's really important to understand where they are in that moment, be able to empathize and be really authentic and genuine with them. So they know you've got their best interest at heart. What about you, Joel? I mean, I think, I think you hit it on the, the head for a lot of those. Um, you have to be able to communicate. If you can't communicate, you're never going to succeed, not only with the, you know, with the minors, but also with the parents. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also have to be someone that can communicate with coaches because you're, you're basically playing three different ways. You got to talk to the coach, talk to the parent and talk to the athlete. So you really have to, I mean, wear many hats, you know, per se, but uh, you have to, to be able to work with all demographics, really. Mm -hmm. So true. Very, very, very true. true. And wow. communication is key. Yeah. And communication goes both ways. Sometimes that's where it breaks down. It's just a, a misunderstanding. And uh, it, it's so important to make sure you're as clear as and concise as possible, which I know uh, mm -hmm. many of us have an issue with. I know I do. Sometimes I go a little longer than needed working on that. What are uh, What is change different direction? Let's go a different direction a little bit. What is a memorable success story? Um of helping a student athlete recover from an injury or in a injury situation? Over the years, there's a lot of them. I mean, I think we're pretty lucky. Um, Hard to pick to, one. Right. It, yeah. I mean, I can think of like, I can remember I had a softball player who tore her ACL and her parents did not want her to have surgery. They thought it was not necessarily. And being able to, and this was early in my career in California, wow. um, you know, and, and trying to navigate that cultural aspect of it um, because they didn't fully understand what an ACL does and the stabilization things and, and how much time she was going to need and how much help she was going to need post-op, um, under thinking it, it would just heal. Um, and, you know, having that conversation that I want her to be able to pick up her child eventually and, and care her kid without her knee giving out. Um, I want her to be able to have her job someday. Um, and 
you know, working with families to understand, you know, especially in the public sector, that injuries sometimes just don't heal. And there's, you, you know, unless they get a real a good doctor who's willing to sort of be an advocate with them. But it was it was a long process, but an inter a great process. And I think, oh gosh, she was a senior at the time. And now, I mean, she's married with three kids now and, you know, is able to chase around her toddlers. And I think about the fact if she did not have something that was stabilizing her knee, how difficult her life as a mom would be. Yeah, that's so true. And in the moment at that, at that second, if it's a game and they put them, put her back in, mm -hmm. who knows what would have happened, where she'd be at now, right? Right. Uh, that's crazy. So. Joel, what about you? What's a memorable uh, uh, success story? Well, I mean, I think a big part of it for us is most most of us in this setting don't want or the, the light is not on us. Mm -hmm. We like to, to everything we do is usually in the, we're in the back away from we're in the back. You know, they don't yeah. see what the work we're putting in. Yeah. And, you know, that's they don't want to see us working hard because if they do, that's usually not a good night for them on the court or the field. Um, but it just, for me, the, the, I always remember the athletes where you put the time in, you see the hard work that they put with you and it translates and you actually get to see them get back into their competition at the highest level. Um, I remember I had an, a basketball athlete a number of years ago. Uh, he came coming back from an ankle injury. He missed a few games in the playoffs, um, actually came back for the CIF title game and hit the game winner. That, that sent the team to state um oh it, that's so cool it's, that is it's so just cool. being able to see the end results of the work we're doing mm -hmm. it, you know that's where when i got into the medical profession i didn't want to be in a clinic where i saw someone twice a week and then they disappeared and you don't know what happened here you I mean it's the highs and the lows you see them in their 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 injuries you know talking to them keeping them mentally strong and then finally seeing all that come and it's not on us, it's on them succeeding. Mm -hmm. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, you played a role in that just as anyone else did. I, I don't know what the percentage officially is, but one of the greatest gifts of athletic training is that 90 per, nine, over 90% of the kids we work with get to go back to what they love. Yeah. When I was in college, um, I was trying to, tell my parents why I was doing this. Mm -hmm. They didn't get it. They, you know, at first they didn't understand. Now I, now it's understood. And I just told my mom, I said, you don't understand the look in a person's eye when they're back on the court or back on the field or, you know, mm -hmm. in that match. And they hadn't been there in a month or two and you helped them get there. It's very, very rewarding. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a tremendous gift we get so it um is. it's the the young man that we worked with who had the brain bleed um oh, and a year yeah. later to see him come back and score a touchdown i don't i both doctors and i are like tears yeah. i was gonna say yeah. I, I would hope there were waterworks i know oh there when were i saw this when i saw the story when i was reading it talking to you and others I mean, I was tearing up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
it's and he was incredibly lucky he had that medical team that night um to be there at that moment and then uh to see him come so far and i can't wait to see what he does this year in track uh because he's got some records on his mind and it'll be fun <laughs> to see him break them it will wow that's just um that's special mm-hmm. and we're lucky so we really are there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of other sides that that may not be as fun but those gifts we get last a lifetime wow i think on that note we're gonna stop right there you don't you don't get a better ending than what kirsten farrell just said so it's almost been an hour and uh i think we're gonna stop on a high note because that was well stated well stated i think that's fantastic um kirsten I truly appreciate you as a friend, as a colleague, and I appreciate your time for being on our podcast today. Um, remember, we will be doing this again, and hopefully we can bring mm -hmm. Kirsten back in. She is a fantastic source of knowledge and uh, so well-spoken. It's so fun to talk to her and see her. Uh, hopefully, I get to see you in a, a few days, maybe, at the event coming up. If not, maybe next hopefully. month. Hopefully. 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 We'll see but, what happens. Uh, next month... Next month, 100%. All right. Fantastic. So, so at least it, within 30 days, I get to see you again. That's yes. great. And Joel, I'll see you uh, pretty soon, I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us at Wrap It Up Podcast. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to uh, come back anytime and chat about what we love so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, check back with us in a few weeks for our next episode. Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More is directed by Eli Hallett. It is produced by Gabriel Hallett. Our theme music is by Coma Studios via Pixabay. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the contributors. The views and opinions do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the contributors' employers unless stated as so. Want to know more about us? Visit us at wrapituppodcast.com. That's with one P, wrapituppodcast.com. Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More is a production of Halleck Consulting, LLC.